Dear Lord, may you increase, may I decrease, and may your word go out and hit the hearts of the hearts is meant to hit today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <coughs> Christmas Eve, 2001. I'm headed to the attic to get the stockings to hang by the chimney with care. It's my job every Christmas about 11, 11 o'clock Christmas Eve. I get up to the attic and I look around and I see a high chair, I see a crib, I see a stroller and the thought hits me, we've got everything we need to raise another child. <laughs> and and let, me, let, me, let me back up just a couple years, okay? Because that, about the previous year, my wife and I had been involved in several discussions about adoption. Uh, I mean, in the 90s, we had, I think, four, three or four women stay with us while they were pregnant in crisis pregnancy. So, you know, I was tied into it there. I was on the board of Bethany Christian Services. So, I mean, I was interacting, rubbing shoulders with people who were adopting. Uh, I went to Fellowship Bible Church. Adoption was in the DNA of that church, you know. And, and uh, you know... I'd talk about adoption, but you know, I'd left, I'd left, I was at Southwestern for about 20 years. I left in 1997 and started a new business. And you know, all, you know, when you start a new business, it all, uh, everything you amass in the previous 20 years, it seems like it's all going out and nothing's coming in. And we had four kids living in Brentwood. And whenever we would have this discussion, I'd say, honey, we, we can't afford it right now. You know, we'd have to go into our life savings. Do you want to go into our life savings? And, and, and I'd come home from a Bethany Christian Services board meeting, and she said, well, how was the meeting? I said, well, it was good, you know. Uh, we did this, and we did that. The numbers look good, and, and there's two kids down at the neonatal unit in, at Baptist right now. She says, oh, let's go see them. And I said, why? Well, maybe we can adopt them. I say, honey, we, we, we haven't got the money. I mean, everything's going out. If we adopt, we're going to have to go into our life savings. Do you want to go into our life savings? And, she, and it would kind of quiet her down. And then another month would pass, and I would come back from a meeting and say, how was the meeting? Oh, and, and you know, there's a child born in Southern right now. You know, oh, let's go see him. Honey, we can't. I mean, if we do that, we're going to go into our life savings. Do you want to use our life savings? And at one point, she stopped me. She said, listen, I've got four kids right now. I'll be happy the rest of my life with these four kids. I could be happy with one more. We have four kids. They would love to have a new baby brother or sister. They're all on board. I'm on board. You're the only one that's not on board. And, what, and she, I can take a yes, I can take a no. But what I can't take is the up and down and up and down. Talk to your friends about adoption, talk to anyone else, but stop talking to me about it until you're ready to decide. And then every night, I'd put the kids to bed and they would all be praying. And dear God, please let, God, let, let, let Daddy let us adopt. <laughs> So it's Christmas Eve, 2001. I'm headed to the attic to find the chimneys to hang by, to, to find the stockings to hang by the chimney with care. I look around the attic and there's a high chair, there's a crib, and there's a stroller. And the thought hits me, we've got everything we need to raise another child. And then the next thought hit me, what's wrong with using a life savings to save a life? And that's where God dealt with me. 
God dealt with me hard. God dealt with my insecurity. He dealt with my greed. He dealt with my, my wanting to be the best dad and provide. I mean, he dealt with everything, my lack of faith. You know, one pastor told me, he said, you know, a lot of, dad, a lot of guys, their dad takes them out to the, to the woodshed. Your father took you to the attic. And I remember I walked down the stairs and Sarah was coming up and I said, honey, we've got a cribs, we've got a high chair, we've got a stroller. And she thought I was going to say, it's time for a yard sale. And I just looked at her and I said, what's wrong with using a life savings to save a life? She said, are you serious? I said, yeah. Can I tell the kids? I said, yeah. And the next morning in their stockings, all four kids got a note saying that they were going to be a big brother or big sister. It was a memorable Christmas Eve, Christmas morning on 2001. And my wife started the process on December 26th. I mean, she was on it like a dog on a pork chop. And, and it was boom, 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 boom. And, and it was calling embassy. I mean, she was doing everything. And uh, it took a while, but we ended up deciding on China because that's where Gracie was. And uh, in September of 2003, we were able to take all four kids to China because of the generosity of some friends and because of the SARS epidemic, prices were low in China. A whole lot of circumstances lined up that the kids could take the trip of a lifetime to go get their little sister. And we got Gracie in, two, in September. She's now a freshman at Baylor University. I am, I am fortunate. I'm a blessed man. And you know what I do is I, I, I run this organization called Both Hands. I started it. And, and at Both Hands what we do is, if you don't know, some people know and some people know the story. But uh, I help families raise money for adoptions, and we do it by working on a widow's house. And, and I, whenever I say that to somebody, they're always real nice and polite, and they go, oh, yeah, that's real nice, you know? Because, you know, they're being polite. But you can see there's that glaze in their eyes that they have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. And so I have found the best way to explain this is to tell you how it happened. I was on the board of Bethany. And I, don't know, I can't remember exactly what year this was, but one year I was in charge of the fundraiser. And, I said, well, let's do a golf tournament. Let's, do, let's, let's raise money by golfing, because I like golf. And uh, it was a kind of term where you, know, you invite like 20 guys, and you ask all of them to send letters out and say, would you sponsor me while I golf? Does everyone understand that? You got to get that to understand this, OK? OK, so I sent my letters out just like I was supposed to. And I had a buddy of mine, Bill Iverson. And I can use all the names I'm using I have permission to use. Bill Iverson and I were in a CLC group together. And I sent Bill a letter. Bill sends my letter back to me. Does not include a check. He just took a magic marker and he scribbled across my letter. He said, JT, if you told me you were working on a widow's house, I might sponsor you. But you're just golfing. Nice cause, but not my money. I hurt my feelings a little bit. But at the same time, I thought, I mean, that's a pretty good idea. I and mean, you think about it, Proverbs 27, 6, wounds from a friend can be trusted. You know, and, and I, man, a couple days later, I called Bill and we talked about it and laughed about it. He still didn't give me any money. Uh, but the idea just never left me. Whenever I saw a 5K or a golf tournament, I kept thinking, if all these people were working on a widow's house, would it be better? Would it be, would it be better? I just didn't have it all figured out. Until a couple years later, I'm in church run into a good friend of mine. I hadn't seen him in a couple months. I said, Don, what's up? And he says, I'm adopting four kids from Moldova. And Don has three at home already. I said, what happened? <laughs> he said, I went on a mission with Sweet Sleep, delivering beds to orphanages in Moldova. And 
Fell in love with this little boy, George. We were, became inseparable throughout the week. The guy stole my heart. And when I got home, I started the adoption process. He said in the process, found out that George has three siblings. He said, we're not gonna break up the siblings. And that took me back right then and there. When I was 12 years old, living on a farm in Iowa, there was five of us kids. And one weekend, my mom and dad left to celebrate their 16th wedding anniversary. And us kids were kind of farmed out to different places. And I remember Saturday night being brought home because mom and dad were coming home and the neighbor dropped us off. I played in the barn all day, so I was dirty. I had to go in the basement and change my, one of my other brothers. He went in the front door. But I remember sitting in our basement on this chair, leaning over, unlacing my boots. And my brother came walking down the basement stairs. And I looked up at him. I said, are mom and dad home? And he looked at me and he said, mom and dad are dead. And I said, what? He said, mom and dad are dead. They were killed in a car accident an hour ago. And he turned around and walked upstairs. I mean, in his defense, he had just heard himself as he walked through the front door and he was still processing it. But I remember that moment seared in my mind. I remember hitting that cold cement floor and crying and wailing like any 12 year old would cry. And the thoughts that went through my head about mom and dad, I sure wish the goodbye with my dad would have been better. Thinking about who's gonna take care of us, what's gonna happen to us, where are we gonna go? I know what it's like to be an orphan. I know what it's like to, to, to wonder those things. I know what it's like to wake up the next morning and, and for the first 15 seconds you think, that was a dream. And then it, it just starts to hit you. I'm never gonna see mom and dad again. And I mean, I know what it's like, but I also know what it's like to be rescued. Because three months before the accident, my mom and dad and my aunt and uncle, my mom's sister and her husband, they changed their wills that if anything would happen to one of them, the other family would take them. My aunt and uncle were 33 years old. They just started a business a year earlier. They had three kids of their own, a two-year-old, a third grader, and a fifth grader. They took all five of us. They took on a three-year-old, a five-year-old, a 12-year-old who really probably wasn't the best 12-year-old in the world, a 14-year-old and a 15-year-old. I'm I'm, I, I know what it's like to have someone come up and say, we got you. We got you. It may not always be pretty, and it wasn't, but we got you. So back to the church hallway with Don. He's sitting there saying, we didn't want to break up the siblings. I am the just right guy to say that to. Because I'm not going to sit there and say, are you sure? I mean, I'm sitting there. I'll tell you exactly what went through my mind. What went through my mind at that very moment was, here's a man who's trusting God in a way that I envy. I want to have that kind of faith. And I just looked at Don. By then, we'd adopted. I said, Don, how much is it going to cost? He said, I don't know. They're telling us 70 or 80,000 maybe. I said, do you have any idea how you're going to raise that money? He said, kind of <laughs> glassy-eyed look, say no. And I said, I think I got an idea. And so Don and I, we'd worked together at Southwestern together for about 10 years. We are a pretty good team. And I said, so we got some, about 14, 15 folks together, most of them all friends from Southwestern. And um, we found a widow in Franklin who needed help, Miss Lucille on Straw Street. We got all the supplies donated because everyone we talked to, I mean, when we tell them what we're doing, they go, 
Yeah, dude, what do you need? Everyone loved the idea. And we all sent letters out to everyone you know, that we knew saying, would you sponsor me for the day while I work on this widow's house? Let me tell you about Miss Lucille. All the money I raise is going to go towards the cost of this adoption. Let me tell you about these four kids from Moldova. And we sent letters out. And by the way, Bill Iverson did send me a check, okay? Um, and he has every year since. <laughs> but, and we spent the day, I remember it was, it was uh, May, March 2007. It was a glorious day. I mean, the sun was out. I think 35 people showed up. I mean, you talk about fun. We, and we, we impacted Miss Lucille's life tremendously. It was so much fun. About six months later, another buddy of mine from Southwestern said, hey, I heard what you did with Don. Would you help me? I said, yeah, let's do it again. Bill and Lisa Kersey were adopting from Honduras. And um, so uh, we ended up doing another project. I think they needed to raise about 13000 We raised about 12000 And we served Diana Beach. She'd lost her husband seven months earlier in a car accident. She had a fourth grader and an eighth grader. I mean, ugh. and she needed help. She needed help around her yard, and she needed a new roof. Now, I happened to be in the recruiting business, and the business I was in was the construction business. I'm just telling you, this, it amazes me when I talk, tell this story, how God orchestrates things, and we don't even realize it. But I, I knew the presence of most of the local construction companies here. I called one up, called Michael at Crane Builders. I said, Michael, here's what we're doing. We got this project going. I'm going to serve a widow, and we're going we're gonna to help, uh, you know, help raise money for adoption. And uh, he said, yeah, what do you need? I said, a new roof. And he said, it'll be there Thursday morning on the lawn. Just let me know. And Mike Smith from, from uh, uh, Christ Community Church, he was the one who headed up that whole thing. And it, just, it was amazing how everyone came together. But in that day, I remember standing on the roof, because I, I took shingles up. <laughs> uh, you know, um, and I remember standing on that roof and, 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 and counted, I counted 54 people. And we transformed the front of our yard. We transformed the back of our yard. I mean, we put a new roof on. And, and I remember them counting the cars on the street and there were 19 cars. And I thought, this is a great way for people to see the hands and feet of Christ. Serving a widow. It was amazing. And it took me back, it took me back to the farm. About a month after the accident, I remember getting off the school bus at our bus. And I was there on the farm after the accident because, well, my, my little sisters were three and five at the time of the accident. They moved in to Milwaukee. Um, that's where my aunt and uncle lived in Brookfield. And um, they moved in with them right away. Us three boys, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, we stayed on the farm because my dad had a brother, Uncle Clifford, who lived with us. They were business partners. And Uncle Clifford was 63 years old. Back in 1969, it was kind of hard to do one-man farming. You know, it took three or four people to bale hay. And I mean, this, you know, he needed help. And we all had chores. There's cattle and hogs. And I mean, you know, we were working. So, us, and they want, I think, wisely, my aunt and uncle decided we should, us three boys should probably finish out the school year in a familiar setting, you know, instead of going from rural Iowa to a place just like Brentwood. Um, so, I, we were still there. And my aunt, my, my dad's sister was a widow. She came in, moved in with us, and she did all the cooking and cleaning. So, it was amazing. But I remember getting off the bus on this beautiful April day. The bus stop's about a half mile from the house. It's on a hill. You can see a lot of our farm. And there in our fields were all our neighbors with their tractors and their plows and their discs and their drags and their planters. They were planting our crops. It was Leland Meyer, Bob Grana, 
Everett Ellison, Bert Jubik, Ed Cooper, Doc Weimiller, Johnny Wolf. I mean, yeah. these are my dad's buddies. I mean, when you're 12 years old, you know who's Tractor's who. And those are my dad's buddies taking care of their buddies' kids. I know what it's like to get your feet washed. I know what it's like to get your feet washed and blessed in a way that you can never, ever repay it. And, and, and sit on that roof at Miss Diane's house, counting those, it all came back to me. I thought to myself, this is the way to live. That night, I remember it was April, because I, rem I remember the night because it was, um, it was Brentwood High School's prom night. My daughter was going to prom. And uh, I remember that day. And, but after that, my wife and I went out to eat, and, I, and uh, I told her, I said, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. My wife is a homeschool, stay-at-home homeschool mom. She said, have you thought about health insurance? <laughs> have, have, have you thought about a paycheck? I said, yeah, what would you think about, you know, maybe, what would you think about working outside the home, just, you know. And, and you know, honestly, God's taken her story. About a month later, she went to work at Belmont in an entry-level position in admission. Uh, 13, 14 years later, she is now the head of development for the largest public, women's public policy organization in the country, Concerned Women for America. She fights for life, she fights for marriage, she fights for education, she fights for, uh, she makes sure those policies, I mean, are in legislation. My wife, God has done unbelievable stuff with what my wife does because of all this too. Anyway, I started both hands in August of 2008. This is my favorite part. Now we've done. 1,121 projects in 44 states. Yeah! 1,229 1, widows have been served. 1,373 kids are no longer orphans. And, and we've raised $14.6 million for families to use for adoptions and organizations to use for things. And of that $14.6 million, I should tell you this, 100% of that money we raise goes to the cause. We don't take anything out for our operations. And that's because I just set it up that way. I thought it would help erase all skepticism, and it has. But God, we've never missed a payroll. People just support. And there's a lot of people in this room who support both hands. And I, thank you very much. Uh, we, we, have, we have made it. And you know what? I, I just, I love telling this story because I think it's a great way to see how God can take something that's hard and painful and turn it into your passion. He, he doesn't waste our tears. He, he, he restores the years of locusts eat. My wife always reminds me, she said, your pain becomes your passion. And um, when I, was, I was 12 years old when the accident happened. I was 52 when I started both hands. Some of you are already doing the math. That's 40 years. There's significance in 40 years. I'm not saying I starved in the desert. Don't, I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying I spent 40 years preparing. And, and when I was 52 and I started both hands, it was like God was saying to me, JT, this is what it's all been about. This is what I made you for. Now, just tee it up and swing because this is going to be fun. You know, and when, and my, when my, my parents died in that car accident, there was probably a headline in the local county paper Local farmer and wife perished in an accident. Othello and Laura May Olson were killed in a car accident on March 22nd, 1969, near Spring Green, Wisconsin, on Highway 14. They were survived by five children. When my aunt and uncle took us in, there was no headline. Because unsung heroes don't get headlines. 
And I know there's a lot of unsung heroes in this room. And I, you know what I have a chance to do? I have a chance to rub shoulders with an unbelievable, because I started this, the people I meet, it's amazing. I mean, and you know, some of the families, like we did a family, some of these stories are just, what I have a front row seat at. I just feel so fortunate. Because we had one family in California. I don't know, they did a project 2013 or 14, I can't remember, but they went to Ethiopia to, to bring a child home. The widow they served on their project became a grandmother. I mean, a surrogate grandmother. I mean, she was involved. Five years later, they did another project and they went back to Ethiopia again. This time, they took that first widow with them. That's not a superficial relationship. That's a change of the relationship for that, for that widow. We get to see that kind of thing. I remember we had one, and so what happens on projects, we had a, every year we do a big vision project where we raise funds for our operations and we usually have about 100 people show up. In 2019, I think we worked on two homes, one over by the ballparks, you know, two widows were served. A great day. What I didn't know is that that project was a young lady named Lindsay. Lindsay was about as far from God as you can imagine. She was mad five years earlier. Her, she lost her brother in a motorcycle accident. Her belief was not high. She saw the hands and feet of Christ that day and later accepted Christ. And she's the one who points to this project. I mean, here we were getting excited about raising $180,000 and serving two widows. But there was angels in heaven rejoicing over this one. And I think, wow, I get to see this stuff. You know, I get to go to conference. I went to a conference. I was in Des Moines last week in an adoption conference. Whew, the heroes, the unsung heroes. I met a lady, Maria, lives in Phoenix. 11 kids, two of them bio. Nine adopted. Her family portrait looks like the United Nations. I mean, I met another lady, Mandy from Ohio. 17 kids, three bio, 14 adopted. Nine of them with special needs. I had a chance to get in the car, ride with her from the hotel to the conference, and I said, you know, you just, you just must be used to just dirt and just, I mean, it's just, that's what it is, right? She says, oh yeah. Yeah, you just, you just focus on what's important. And when you find her story, her pain, her pain when she was a child, she saw her father take the life of her mother. And the police found her a day and a half later as a five-year-old in the corner. She has a heart for the kids who are in foster care, and she does something about it. I have a, she's, a, she's the kind of person that pursues impact, not ease. And I have a chance to work with people who pursue impact instead of ease. And I know there's people in here the same way. Some of you at that stage in life where you want to start doing that. I met another family at this conference, middle, about mid-50s, early 50s. They both walked up to the table and I started talking to them. Sometimes they had like teenagers, older teenagers. And then they're talking, so yeah, and we talk about fundraising and say, so, yeah, we've adopted. And I found out later, they adopted a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a nine-year-old, all with Down syndrome. They're not signing up for an empty nest. They're signing up for a lifetime of care and love. And you know what I notice about these people, these unsung heroes that I have a chance to rub shoulders with? They're so much at peace. They're not, they're not mad, they're not angry, they're like going, yeah, because they're giving their life away. And I have a chance to, to just meet some widows that are amazing. And, and it's sad, but it's joyful. 
I remember we, uh, Raymond James, uh, the Raymond James, Southwestern Raymond James group did a project earlier this year where they were raising money for a, a cause, an orphan cause, because we do projects like that too. And I went to the widow's house uh, at the beginning of the project. She was in the back. I went around the back into the back door and she was in the kitchen, had a chance to talk to her. And, um, you know, I was talking to her, found out about her husband. Her husband had died like two or three years earlier. The last five years he was in a wheelchair. I think I've got those numbers right, but it was something like that. And I just said, I just want to thank you for letting these people work in your house because you're really helping them raise money for a great cause. And she looked at me and she started weeping. She said, thank me. She said, thank you. She said, I didn't think anybody cared anymore. You know, when you hear those kind of things, it makes you want to pursue impact. It makes you want to say, what can I do? I can do something. And you know what we do at this, this year at both hands in 2022, we're, just, we're having a go. We want to just see more projects done because, you know, there's a good chance most of you in here aren't going to adopt. That's probably safe to say. But I think there's a chance that every one of you want to do something. And you want to make an impact. Well, this year we're going to, even though we've done this before, this year we're going to put an emphasis on, we're still going to do adoption projects, but we're going to add that, we're going to try and emphasize more groups doing projects, like a Sunday school class, like a CLC group. Right now there's a CLC group going to do a project. You know, or maybe it's a small group. Maybe it's your company. Uh, this last month in October, uh, Dave Ramsey group, they did two projects. They served four widows. And they had a little cause they raised some money for. You know, it doesn't have to be a lot of money because it's not adoption, but it's just, if it's any kind of a cause that's related to orphans or related to foster care or in some way helps these kids that come from hard places, we want to help you do that. And we can do that. Um, in fact, uh, if you want to talk to somebody, Jared DeLong, there's Jared back there. Just raise your hand, Jared. That's the, he's, Jared's the new executive director of Both Hands. I'm now the founder. <laughs> Now, that's what I do when you get old, I guess. Um, you know, this is, I don't know why this imagery just always fires me up. I guess I heard it at men's fraternity or something, but I think about when I, when I picture Satan getting up in the morning with his little minions and his checklist, when he gets to my name, I don't want him checking the box that says not a threat. I want him thinking, crap. <laughs> He's up again. <laughs> and I think that's how we ought to think. Amen. Impact versus ease. Thank you so much for letting me talk. <laughs> mm.